Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor, and uh, we... We expected to have guests today. We do every week, and, uh, and when I say that, I mean our church exists to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And so today, we're in the middle of this series that's called Connect, as you saw on the video, and you, you probably surmised from the words, it's about prayer. Um, and today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a question that really is uh, the most common question I've ever been asked as a pastor over the past 32 plus years as a pastor. It's usually asked in one of two, we- two ways. Uh, the first way people ask it is this, what is God's will for my life? And the second time, way they ask it is, how can I know God's will for my life? How can I know what God's will is? And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been answering that question very specifically by saying there is a God who has a son named Jesus, and Jesus came to the earth to demonstrate God's will clearly. And Jesus did that through words, but he also did that, more importantly, through actions. In fact, the most important action Jesus ever took to declare God's will to us as human beings is to live a perfect life, which allowed him and entitled him to die sacrificially, Um, and substitutionarily for us in our place on a Roman executioner's cross so we could be forgiven from sin and given a new life. And how do I know that that is the clearest expression of God's will? Because Jesus told us so in a parable. And the parable is found in Matthew 18. It goes like this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, He will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. And it says, in the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So if we want to put that in the positive, it is God's will for us to be saved. And it's God's will for all of us to be saved, but it's God's will for every single one of us to be saved. Every single one of us that's on the planet, every little one, um, God wants us to be in a relationship with him to be saved. Now, We human beings have a little bit of trouble, actually a lot of trouble, doing God's will. We often know God's will, but we don't really want to do it. It's not fun most of the time, we think. Or it's, it's, it's sort of stifling, limiting. It sort of puts boundaries around us. And, and so it's not easy for human beings to do God's will. And, and if we're the sheep, and actually each of us is a sheep, according to Jesus, that's the parable. We're all sheep, and we're either the one that's lost or the 99 that's in the fold. We're one of those. And, and the thing about lost sheep, that's really interesting, if you just go with the parable and the analogy, is this. A lost sheep that isn't found will die. A lost sheep that doesn't get found does die. You know why I say that? Because a lost sheep was eventually going to be eaten by a predator. The lost sheep who doesn't have the shepherd, the good shepherd's protection, that doesn't have the good shepherd to show it where the food and everything is, is going to fall over a cliff and die, is going to freeze to death in weather like this, or is going to starve. Now, there are so many bad things that can happen to a sheep that, that I can't even enumerate them all. 
But the thing is, when the sheep first leaves that hundred and becomes the one that's separated from the 99, it probably feels good. Picture it if you're one of those sheep, you know. You've been with this flock of sheep, and maybe you don't like all of them. Maybe some of them, you know, are smelly, whatever. And you leave, and all of a sudden you have your own patch of grass. You don't have any fence to restrict you. You have freedom. And it feels great to be free. In fact, that's what our enemy, the devil, wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that freedom is the best thing there is. In fact, what the devil wants us to believe is we should chuck off anything that is not, you know, anything that limits us, anything that's restrictive. And God's will is certainly limiting and restrictive. We should be able to think anything we want, say anything we want, do anything we want. And if we're American sheep, which most of us in a room are, it's easy for us because we grew up believing that we could be anything, do anything we want to do. You know, that's what we've been told. And so, and after all, most of us have been told this, even in the church, God wants us to be happy. Doesn't God want us to be happy? That's a very important question. Does God want us to be happy? And, and the thing is, we know that God wants us to experience his desire or his will for our lives. We know God wants us to have a, a, an abundant life a good life, the life that is truly life. And the reason we know that is because Jesus, who called himself the good shepherd, told us all those things. But does he really want us to be happy? The interesting thing when you actually turn to the word of God is you find out that when Jesus was on the earth, he only talked about happiness that it's recorded two times. And the first time he talked about happiness, it's in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. And he said, what sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. So the future of happy, rich people is sorrow. Now, Jesus said that to a group of people who were as sure that rich, being rich was a sign of God's blessing in our lives as people today are. I mean, people today assume that if they have blessing and richness, wealth, material wealth, everything like that, it's a sign that God's on their side. And Jesus, the people in Jesus' day thought the same thing. But here's what Jesus, and, and it isn't being rich that's the problem. It's thinking that being rich will make you happy is the problem. It's thinking that our ultimate will of God in our lives is for us to be rich. That's the problem. And the second time that Jesus talked about happiness was in that, also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verse 32. He says this, So don't be afraid, little flock. And there's that image of the sheep again. For it, is, it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So God is happy when we have received the gift of his kingdom. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have riches for a season or maybe decades, or would you rather have God's kingdom forever? And that's the, that's the choice. The choice we have sometimes is riches for a little while or God's kingdom forever. And I actually want to put up on the screen, who would rather be rich and famous for a few decades than a member of God's kingdom forever? It sort of sounds like a no-brainer when I put it that way, because being part of God's kingdom is good. In fact, being part of God's kingdom is good and pleasing and perfect. And if you have one of these guides and you've been following along, and I see a few of you have, you already know that that's the take-home point for today. Page 14, it says God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. If you don't have one of these guides because you're new today, or maybe you just never got one, if you would like to have one, if you raise your hand right now, somebody will bring you one. Okay, and so on page 14, it tells you what we're going to talk about today. 
We're going to talk about God's will, your will being done. We're going to talk about that God's will for us is good and pleasing and perfect. And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're doing in this series, every week we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Today we're going to focus on that second part of the Lord's Prayer where it talks about God's kingdom coming, God's will being done on the earth as it is in heaven. That's the focus point that we're going to make in the Lord's Prayer today. But before we do that, we're going to read the whole thing. We're going to do something we used to do all the time. If you're new at New Life, you'll never remember doing this. But we used to do this all the time. We haven't done it for a while. And that is, those who are able, would you please stand with me? We're going to read God's Word together. And you can look at the book and read it. It'll be up on the screen. But we're going to read Matthew 6, verses 9 to 15 aloud together. Please join me. These are Jesus' words. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have your truth and we we know your will from, from your word. And today, God, as we have looked at this prayer, we pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our wills by your Holy Spirit, that we can receive the truth you have for us today that will allow us to love you more fully, that will allow us to serve you more effectively, that will allow us to experience what it means not to be lost, but to be found and to be living in your will. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Jesus said, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when I was growing up, I went to a church where we said the Lord's Prayer every week. And every week when we said this part of the Lord's Prayer, the kingdom part, we, we would always say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every week, same thing, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how I always said the Lord's Prayer. And when I became an adult and I was a pastor, we would say the Lord's Prayer like that. And then one day I was in church and there was a pastor, a missionary from Jamaica standing beside me. And when we said the Lord's Prayer, what happened was something totally different. Because we said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, pause. And while we were pausing, this pastor missionary from Jamaica said, on earth. And and I went, what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And then as it is in heaven. And and, and a little light bulb went off in my my heart and my spirit, my mind, my soul, every part of me. And I went, yes, that's what Jesus was talking about. I had never gotten that. Maybe you got it a long time ago. I never got it that what, what happens is when we do God's will on earth, his kingdom is there. And so when we say the Lord's Prayer here at New Life, which we usually generally do when we say the Lord's Prayer, I mean, when we have the Lord's Supper, Um, we put it up on the screen and it will always look like this. It will say, your kingdom come, and then it will say, your will be done on earth, comma, as it is in heaven. Because when we think of it that way, what it means is this. Let's say, for example, you have the opportunity to tell the truth or to lie, and you decide to tell the truth. Well, when you say the truth, God's kingdom is there in that moment. Let's say that you go to work tomorrow, 
and you work diligently for an hour. During that hour, you do everything the way that you would do it if you were working for God and not for people, as it says in the book of Colossians. Well, during that hour, the kingdom of God would be in your workplace. If you go to school tomorrow, and you go to school and you have a test tomorrow and you do the best you can on that test. Or maybe you're playing basketball tomorrow night and you have a basketball game and you do the best you can do. Or you're playing a musical instrument and you do the best that you can do. Or just bottom line is you do the very best that you can do in whatever it is you're doing. That's In that moment, God's kingdom will be in that place. And so everywhere we do God's will here on earth, God's kingdom is. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Chris. Isn't God's kingdom only going to come? When Jesus returns. And a lot of people believe that. And, and the truth of the matter is, people ask Jesus that. Back in Jesus' day, look what, what, what he was asked. It was this. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And biblical scholars have argued and debated over the years what that means. You know, what does it really mean for God's kingdom to, you know, to be already here among us? But Jesus told us. He told us in his prayer when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He said, when we do God's will on earth, his kingdom is here. And some theologians have tried to, you know, put this together because in the ultimate sense, it is true that God's kingdom ultimately comes when Jesus returns. So people call that the already, meaning the kingdom of God is already here when we do his will. But there's a, a not yet part of it. The not yet is not until Jesus comes back will we eternally experience God's kingdom. But we can experience God's kingdom in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and wherever we hang out when we do God's will here on earth. So let's take a closer look at God's will from a couple of verses. They're on page 14 if you want to look at them. Um, or you could look at them in your Bible either way, however you want to do it, um, that talk more about God's will and how we do it. So... In Psalm 143, verse 10, it says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on firm footing. So King David wrote that. King David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He wrote most of the Psalms. Um, that, that um, There are 150 of them, and he wrote many, many of them. He's the single largest contributor to these prayers of the people of Israel. And so this Psalm 143 is 12 verses long. And in the 12 verses, basically what David says is, deliver me from my enemies. I'm, I'm, I'm being, my enemies are chasing me. I need your help. And David had a lot of his Psalms say that because David, you may or may not know, he was anointed the king of Israel when he was a teenager by Samuel the prophet. And, and, and the, the truth of the matter is, even though he was anointed as a teenager, he didn't become king for decades. And so King Saul, who was the king of Israel, was always trying to kill David. And then after David actually became the king, there were a lot of other people that were trying to kill David. So David had a lot of enemies. And so he prayed through Psalm 143, deliver me from my enemies. And yet in verse 10, he sort of changes the topic a little bit. And he says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And, and it's interesting what he says. Not only do I want to learn your will, but he says, May your gracious spirit lead me forward. In other words, the only way I'm going to do your will after I know it is in the power of your Holy Spirit. That was a very astute observation by David. And you know, in David's day, not everybody had the Holy Spirit. 
In David's day, in fact, only a few very special people were given the Holy Spirit. And so what happened is when David was anointed as king of Israel, we are told in the scriptures that the Spirit of God came into David and he stayed with him for the rest of David's life. But that wasn't very common in the Old Testament times. In fact, when Jesus came to the earth, something incredible happened. Jesus obviously lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, paid the penalty for human sin, and then he rose from the dead and he went back to heaven. And then we call it Pentecost. It was a Jewish holy day in those days. Um, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to every believer on the planet. That day, there were only 120. In the whole planet, there were 120 people who followed Jesus. And his spirit came into each of them. And then as a result of that, they went out and told everybody that was in Jerusalem about Jesus. And at the end of the time together, 3,000 more people trusted Jesus. And they also received the Holy Spirit. In fact, from the time that, that Pentecost happened 2,000 years ago until now, every believer in Jesus Christ, everyone who has trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, has received the Holy Spirit. So we can have the Holy Spirit when David prays for us to know God's will and then to have the Holy Spirit so we can move forward in firm footing. We can do that. We can actually have that in our lives. And now here's a question. Instead of asking, how can I know God's will? Or what is God's will for my life? What if we ask this question, do we really want to do God's will? Because so often, you know, once sheep get found, even though we're back in the flock again, we still have this desire to sort of wander away. And we don't always want to do God's will. But we have the ability to know God's will through his word. And much easier for us because most of us have a Bible. And if we don't, we can get one. Back in Jesus' day, not hardly anybody had a Bible. And certainly, um, the Bible wasn't even completed um, until long after Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven because the New Testament wasn't part of the Bible. But we have the ability to know His will, and we have the power to do His will. And, and so the question is, what stops us? Why don't we do God's will? If we know what it is, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us, why don't we do it? Well, the short answer, two words, is this, the world. The world is the reason we don't do God's will. The world has all these distractions. The world is what causes us not to do what we know we ought to do because when we listen to the world, we, we don't do it. And, and it's sort of funny being, we're only in a specific part of the world, the United States of America, right? And in the United States of America, it's a little bit funny because we live in a country where on our money, if you pull out your wallet or your purse and you pull out a dollar bill or $10 bill, whatever, it, on the back of it, it says, in God we trust. And actually, if you go to school, a lot, I don't know if they still do it in every school, but in some schools, they still say the Pledge of Allegiance. And in the Pledge of Allegiance, it says one nation under God. And yet many places and many people are seeking to get that removed from the money and removed from the pledge and actually to just say there is no God and we don't want to talk about God anymore right here in this country. Now, does that matter? Of course it matters. In fact, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul talked about how much it matters that we don't let the world sort of shape us and form us. When he said this, it's also on page 14 or in your Bible, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Actually, in the original Greek, what it says is, don't be molded into the world's form. In other words, don't be jello. 
You know, when you make jello and you pour it into a mold and you put it in a refrigerator and then it takes the shape of whatever the mold is, right? Well, don't let the world do that to you. That's what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. If that was true 2,000 years ago, think how true it is today because all you have to do today is get out your phone if you have a smartphone, right? And you can download any kind of app you want to that's going to let the world have access to you. In fact, I, I forgot to mention this booklet you can actually get on your smartphone. On the New Life app, you can just download the New Life app and then you have to update it because what you'll find in the, the study guide area is the one from last summer, but you can download the new one. And so in your smartphone, you could have a good thing. But also, we know that there are thousands of things at our fingertips. Our smartphones can lead us to follow the ways of the world. And, and so, and that's just one example. And we have TV and, you know, everything out there that tells us instantly what's going on around the world. And, and so... The world says, be smart. The world says, be rich. The world says, be young. The world says, be beautiful, be handsome, be strong. All of these things. And some of those things, there's nothing wrong with them. But, but, but not much in the world is saying, learn the will of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, live out that will. Not very much going on that's saying that. And, and so... The next thing that it says in verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans is one of my favorite things. It says this, be transformed by changing the way you think. And the reason I love that statement is because I know a lot of people who think in order to be a Christian, you have to let your brain turn to mush. You know, in order to be a Christian, you sort of have to check your brain at the door. But I've always valued my brain. I've always valued being able to think. And, and Paul says that we're supposed to be transformed really from the inside out by changing the way we think. And when you think about this, the world tells us so much that's, that's really not true. And I've heard so much stupidity both from the world and actually from the church in my lifetime that I could be skeptical of everything. And so could you. We could be skeptical of everything. But if you know me well, you know that I'm not skeptical about God. In fact, I have a simple childlike faith in God. So how can you be intellectually honest and still have a simple childlike faith in God? I, I put it this way. All it takes is simple to maintain a simple childlike faith in God while being intellectually honest. Two things. A willingness to believe the God of the Bible exists and that he is who he says he is. It's easy for me to believe because I believe that God exists. Now, you know, in the world, there are a lot of people out there who start with the presupposition there's no God. If you start with the presupposition that there is no God, then I guess there's no God, right? And you wouldn't be able to know what God's kingdom would look like because there is no God. You wouldn't be able to know what God's will is like because there is no God. And in that case, you couldn't do God's will on the earth if there is no God. But how can you, is it really intellectually honest to start with the assumption there's no God? Because you can't prove that. You can't prove there's no God, can't prove there is a God, but it's intellectually not very honest to say there's no God. Or, or the other one is, okay, there might be a God, but there's no miracles. There are people who say, you know, there can't be any miracles. It's sort of like the Jedi mind trick. There can't be any miracles. Really? Why can't there be any miracles? I've seen them. So how could there not be any miracles just because you said so? That's not intellectually honest. In, in fact, if there's a supernatural God, it would only make sense that there would be supernatural stuff, right? So it's easy to have a simple faith a childlike faith, and be intellectually honest if we admit there could be a God and that he is who he says he is. For example, I believe this statement in all things. 
God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't believe that true be, that's true because it's in Romans 8.28, and I've been brainwashed to believe that it's true. You know, there are a lot of people who have been brainwashed by the Bible, and frankly, I think they're better off than people who have been brainwashed by the world. But you don't have to be brainwashed at all to believe that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good. The Bible has enough intellectual honesty to say there are bad things in the world. In fact, if you read the Apostle Paul's letters, especially 2 Corinthians, he gives you this laundry list of all the bad stuff that happens in his life. I mean, stuff like being beaten with rods, beaten with whips, shipwrecked, hungry, naked, all these things. And you know what he doesn't say at the end? It was so much fun. He doesn't say that at all. He said, we despaired even of life. In other words, we thought we were going to die because it wasn't fun. And I've gone through a lot of really bad stuff in my life and still gone through bad stuff in my life where things don't go the way I want them to. And because I'm a pastor, I've gone through bad stuff with you, some of you. And so I know this. It's not a good thing when divorce happens. It's not a good thing when you lose a job you love. It's not a good thing when, you know, your mom dies before you think she should. It's not a good thing when you lose a child. It's not a good thing when your children wander off and are lost sheep, even though they know what it's like to be part of the flock. All of these different things and more. It's not a good thing when somebody takes out a gun and shoots people in an airport. None of that stuff is good stuff. And yet, I know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And people can argue and debate with me all they want to. But this is what I know. People who believe that and live that are much better off than people who don't. And God's kingdom does come in the places where people believe that and live that in their lives on earth, here and now. That's where we will see this prayer that we prayed today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We can see it happening as we live it out. Now, hmm, here, here's another question that, that I, I really think that probably gets to, to the heart of everything is, do we, if we knew God's will, would we be willing to do it? And the answer is, a lot of people don't want to do God's will because it's too simple. God's will is very simple. God's will is for his goodness to be lived out on the earth as it is in heaven, God's will is for his goodness to be lived out on the earth as it is in heaven. And people go, well, I, I thought it would be more specific than that. I, I thought it would be clearer than that. Like, I mean, aren't you just saying that we should love everybody? Aren't you saying we should forgive people? Aren't you saying that we should just do the stuff that's in the Bible? Yeah, that's what, pretty much what I'm saying. In fact, if we're going to do God's will here on earth and have his goodness as, as it is in heaven here on earth, what we ought to do is think about, well, what's it like in heaven? So what I want you to do, if you would, with me, we're going to get in our imaginary airplane or car or whatever we could do to get to heaven, all right? And we're going to go to heaven. So what are we going to find there? Well, let's start with what we won't find there. When we get to heaven, we won't find a single cemetery. We won't find a hospital. We won't find a police station. We won't find gossip. We won't find murder. We won't find any of those things. You know what else we won't find? We won't find whatever. You know what I mean by that? Whatever. Whatever is like when somebody says, what do you want to do? I don't know, whatever you want to do. What do you, you know, what do you believe? I don't know, I just, whatever. Whatever you believe, whatever works for you, you know, you won't find that in heaven. Whatever doesn't exist in heaven. Because in heaven, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is being done. 
So there's a very specific and clear way that we relate with each other in heaven. There's a very specific and clear way that we relate with God in heaven. And it's very, very specific, not whatever. There's no whatever in heaven. And so God's good, pleasing, and perfect will in heaven, what, what if we did it here on earth? And what you're saying, maybe saying is, Chris, do you really believe we can do God's good, pleasing, and perfect will here on earth? Well, what I believe is that G.K. Chesterton was right more than 100 years ago when he said, the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. What I've determined to do in this year of 2017 is everywhere I go, I am going to practice God's will here on earth so that where I go, heaven will go. So that in my relationships with you all, that I will be loving and caring as Jesus is. And so God's kingdom will be wherever I am. And, and, and you might be saying, well, Chris, do you really think you're going to do that perfectly? Well, not if past experience is any indicator. You know, uh, if last year is any indicator, I'm not going to do it perfectly. But here's what I do know. I will be able to do it more effectively this year than I did last year if I simply do two things. If I let God transform me from the inside out by the renewing of my mind, and let the Holy Spirit lead me into that firm footing that David talked about so long ago. Now, that's what I'm going to do. So, so I have a simple question. Do you want to do that this year? In 2070, do you want to live that way? All right, one person does. The last service, it was eight. And the other service was six. Let's see, that's 15. 16 of us want to do God's will this year. 16 of us want to live that way this year. And I, that's enough. You know, Jesus only had 12 and he changed the whole world. So if all of us, I was hoping for all of us, but 16, that'll be good. Okay, so here's today's commitment. I will ask God to teach me to do his will and allow him to lead me by his spirit each day this week. I didn't make it all year, just this week. I will ask God to teach me to do his will and allow him to lead me by his spirit each day this week. Imagine if we all did that. Imagine if we said yes to that how different our homes would be because God's kingdom would be coming into our homes because we would be doing his will. God's kingdom would be going to school with us this week. God's kingdom would be in our workplaces this week. God's will would be done in places where we hang up and his kingdom would come there. So, so what would that mean? It would mean as we looked around Saxonburg and Sarver and you know, Butler and the places where we come from to worship God here at New Life, all of those places, it would look so different. And what would happen in a very short period of time, people who saw those things and experienced those things, they would go, what is up with you? You know, what is up with them? And, and, and you know, it wouldn't be like, what is up with you because you become judgmental all of a sudden. It wouldn't be because, you know, you're against everything all of a sudden. It would be because, you know, I don't know. I heard this Jesus guy loves everybody, you know, tells the truth. And you seem to be living like that. That's what it would be like. And, and that would be when we would have the opportunity, the opportunity to, to share with some lost sheep what it, what it means to be found. And, and, and so if we're going to do that, we're going to lean harder into God and his will than we ever have before. I mean, his will is going to become our heartbeat. And, and wouldn't you rather fail at doing that in 2017 than succeed at anything else? That, that's my prayer. My prayer is that we will let this book guide our lives, that we will get God's will from it, and then in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will live it out so that wherever we go, God's will would be done on earth, and, and that would mean his kingdom would be there until he comes, and, and his kingdom will be everywhere forever.
Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the reality that we belong to you if Jesus is Savior and Lord in our life. I, I thank you for the reality that we can know your will and, and, and we can know um, not only what it is, but, but how to do it by living in the power of your Holy Spirit. And today I pray you'd pour your Spirit into all of us so that we can a little bit more effectively today than yesterday and a little bit more effectively tomorrow than today live your will that your good, pleasing, and perfect will would become the focus and target that we are aiming for in 2017. God, that because we're alive, somebody who doesn't yet know you will, and because we're alive, your kingdom will come here on earth as it already is in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.